Okay, so if you've been with us at all over August, if you haven't, we're going through the book of John and we're looking at the sayings that Jesus said about the I am statements. And so today we're looking at Jesus' statement when he said, I am the bread of life. But just to ask you to start with, what is your favorite food? Anybody? What? Joe, you have to explain what that is. What? Aubergine, sorry, aubergine. Okay, vegetables for Joan. Anyone else? Would you see <laughs> seafood down here? If you were to go to any restaurant, if offered to take you out to anywhere, where would you go? Italians. I knew Italian would be popular. Mexican, Indian. Any advances? Okay, well, we, we live in this amazing city where there are so many um, restaurants all around. And um, basically, in London, you could probably go to a restaurant and find whatever cuisine you wanted. And because there's such a diversity, it's really difficult to define what, um, what a typical British diet is. I don't think there is a typical British diet anymore. But for the context of what we're going to be looking at this morning, we're going to be looking in the book of John. And uh, there was probably very much a staple diet there. And uh, what they ate was bread. Uh, not just bread, but, but it wouldn't have had the same variety. Bread was a staple food. It's what they ate every day. And it's what did, um, sustained them. And so when Jesus is talking about bread... You know, often we don't eat bread now. We go gluten-free and all sorts of things. But bread was what they ate. Bread was what sustained them. And before we look at what Jesus said about himself, we're going to look at the context of in which Jesus was speaking. So we're going to look at what happened just before. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to be looking in John chapter 6. Carmela is going to be a star, and she's going to get the verses up there. But if you've got your Bible, it's quite good because you can um, flick around. We're going to go through quite a lot of the chapter. We're going to whiz through it today. So chapter 6 starts with a, the story of feeding the 5,000. It's a really familiar story that a lot of people have heard of and they know. But it's also a really important story as well. So John chapter 6, starting to read at verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he knew um, what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. 
When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So you've got this crowd that are following Jesus, and the reason they're following him is because they've heard about the signs and all the amazing things that Jesus could do. And so word had got out, they're following him, they're going to go and see what he can do. And Jesus looks up, there's this huge crowd, and it's that time of day when everyone's starting to get hungry, and they all need feeding. So Jesus asks his disciples, how are we going to feed them? And basically their response is, well, we can't. Even if there were some shops nearby, it would cost about eight months' salary to go and buy enough bread. And even then, there probably wouldn't be enough for everybody. And so Jesus performs this miracle in front of everyone. There's five loaves and two fishes, and he feeds probably about 20,000 people. Now, I know it says the feeding of the 5,000, but verse 10 says 5,000 men sat down. And if you add in the fact that there would have been women and children there as well, then the number that got fed would have been a lot more. And Jesus breaks and multiplies these breads and he distributes it to all the people. And they have plenty to eat to the point where there are 12 baskets full left over. Now imagine if you were there in the crowd. You've gone along because you've heard these rumors of this guy Jesus and what he does and how he's been healing the sick. And you're there, and you see him with these five loaves. And you see it visibly multiply before you. You've heard these stories of how he's turned water into wine in the past, but now you're seeing him multiply this food, and you even get to taste it. What would your response be? What would you be thinking? You know, Jesus is so amazing. How, how has he managed to do that? How has he got the power to do that? It's impossible, isn't it? He's such a powerful, powerful guy. And the crowd saw the signs and they wondered at Jesus' power and what he could do for them. And they probably talked about what it would be like to have such an amazing and powerful leader. And uh, with the miracles that he performed, he could be the answer to their problems. He could provide them with daily food. And he could probably deliver them from the oppression of the Romans. And it says in verse 15, Jesus knew that they were intending to make him king by force, and that's why he withdrew. Jesus knew what was in the hearts of the crowd. He knew their plans, but they weren't his plans, so he left the crowd behind. And then the next day, the people go looking for Jesus again. And when they find him, they have this conversation with him. And it sounds like quite a bizarre conversation. But what Jesus is doing is kind of really um, challenging their, their needs or their desires and what their perception is of who he is. So in verse 25, it says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, this is the crowd, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, 
Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They'd already seen signs. In fact, the reason that they went out the day before to to find Jesus, because they'd heard about these signs, these miracles that Jesus was doing. Yesterday, they'd been part of this miraculous picnic and eating this food, and yet they're still asking for signs because they didn't understand what the signs were pointing to. Signs are meant to point you to where you are going. So if you've ever driven along the motorway, you'll know that the signs are there to tell you how far you've got to go and when you've got to turn off. When you came in here today, you will have seen signs that we put up every week telling people where the toilets are. The purpose of a sign is to point you and show you where you need to go. The sign of feeding the crowd the day before was meant to point them to God and reveal who Jesus was. They were meant to wonder at how Jesus must be God in order to perform such an amazing miracle. No one else could take five loaves and two fishes and feed thousands of people with 12 baskets full left over. Only God could do that. But in verse 26, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus says, you're only here because you got fed. And you're still focused on your stomachs and what I can do for you today. You haven't lifted your eyes high enough to see where these miracles are coming from. The signs were meant to make them look up and see the hand of God. But what they were focused on was, where's the next meal coming from? So hands up if you've had breakfast this morning. It's most people, it's a few. Pete, you didn't have breakfast. It's the most important meal of the day, Pete. Okay, who's going to be eating again when they get home? That's most people. (laughs) Okay, the thing is, you can eat a meal and you can be really satisfied and you can be really full. But you're going to have to eat again because you don't just eat once. You're going to have to eat each day. And what satisfies for a while does not satisfy permanently. Jesus said to the crowd, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus wants to give them a new perspective. He's saying, take your eyes off of now, your immediate needs, and focus on what is going to last for eternity. Jesus is offering them a food that endures for eternal life, but they're misunderstanding what he's talking about, and they're focusing in on the work bit. And first century Jews were used to rules and regulations and doing things to please God. And so they say, well, what must we be doing to do the works of God? They wanted to know what to do. And they probably thought, well, maybe there's a new rule or a new regulation or law or something we've got to do. And Jesus replied, this is the work that you believe in him whom he has sent. We can't do anything to earn our salvation. We can only receive it through faith in what Jesus has already done for us. But they're just not understanding what Jesus is saying. 
So they're asking for another sign. And there have been plenty of signs already. Um, they just wanted more. And actually what they were focusing on was that really they wanted to see more miracles. So they reminded Jesus that their ancestors had manna in the desert. And all the Jews knew the story of God's provision of manna. The Israelites were oppressed by the Egyptians, and God brought them out of Egypt and across the Red Sea, and they're wandering around in the desert, and then they start moaning, and they're saying, God, there's no food here. You should have left us in Egypt, where at least we had food, even though we were being oppressed and everything was terrible. But they're saying, there's no food here. Why have you brought us out here to die? And God provided manna in the desert, and it appeared every day, and it sustained them. And they didn't have to work for it. It just appeared. And even though this crowd has seen Jesus feed 5,000 people, that, it was another day and they were hungry again. And in the desert, they had manna every day. And it wasn't just miracle bread for one day. It was miracle bread every day for 40 years. So what they were saying was, Jesus, well, if you want us to believe in you, then keep on with the miracles, keep on performing. What they were really wanting was not Jesus, who are you, but Jesus, what are you going to do for us? What can you do to make our lives better? We'd love it if you provided some bread every day. And in verse 32, Jesus' response to them is, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What Jesus is offering them is not physical bread that you eat one day and then you are hungry for again the next day. He's saying there's a true bread from heaven, the bread of God, and this bread is a he. And it comes down from heaven and it gives life to the world. And even when Jesus said he rather than it, they still don't get it because they're saying give us this bread that rather than who is this person they're not looking for a person. They're not looking for a relationship. They're interested in the benefits of what Jesus can do for them. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And so he's been really unambiguous with the crowd. He's saying, I am everything that you need. I haven't come to give you bread. I am the bread. It's me. What I've come to give you is myself. Stop looking at other things. Stop looking at how I can improve your life and look at me. I'm not offering you bread. I am the bread. I am the one that will sustain you. Just like bread sustains you physically, I am the one that is going to sustain you. And the difference is that when you come to me, you won't go hungry. What I'm offering you is a contentment and a security that will not come any other way. What Jesus was and is offering is a relationship with him. 
Verse 33 says, The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. It's bread that gives life. Jesus came to reconcile us to God because our greatest need is not what we're going to eat today or tomorrow, however important that is, but our greatest need is to receive God's grace and his mercy and to be reconciled to him, no longer counted as enemies but as friends of God. Jesus was offering himself, but the crowd wanted the benefits that he could offer but not the relationship, not the person, but what he could give rather than Jesus himself. They wanted what Jesus could give to improve their lives. They were so fixated on that. What they thought was their real need was not their need at all. It's a real challenge for us to kind of think, to what extent can we sometimes be like the crowd? They just didn't get it. But we need to guard ourselves. We, we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus is offering himself. But we still need to guard ourselves from falling into the trap of trying to use God to make our lives better. There are lots of people out there that say, come to God and he will make your life better. Well, your life will be so much better, but that is not why we come to God. It is not a prosperity gospel. We need to make sure that we don't fall into the trap of coming to God on our terms or trying to make God conform to an image that we think will meet our needs. The danger of seeing God in terms of someone that will meet our needs is that we will always have needs. God may have healed you of some illness last year, but what happens when you get sick again this year? What will you do? Will you run to God because he is the bread of life and he's promised to sustain you and he's promised to carry you through everything that you're going to go through so you hold on to him, the bread of life? Or do you walk away because you're not, your prayers are not being answered in the way you want them to be answered and you're not getting the benefits that you think you deserve from God? Maybe you prayed for a a, a job and God provided a job when you didn't have one, but now you want a better one and now you're waiting for God to do that. There will always be needs in our lives. And the amazing thing is that God knows our needs and God loves us as his children and he will provide for our needs. And we, we serve an amazing God who does provide for our needs and it's not wrong to ask for these things. The danger is that God knows what we need and what we think we need are not always the same thing. Jesus is the one who is offering to sustain us, the true bread from heaven, when we feed on him every day. We were designed, God designed us, that just as our physical bodies crave for food, we were designed to crave and long for God. Deep down, we long for something more. We long for something that will satisfy and bring meaning and purpose to our lives, maybe bring significance and purpose. And we live in a culture which is focused on convincing us that these longings that we have can be satisfied with material things or with relationships that are apart from God. Blaise Pascal, he was a famous uh, 
mathematician, but also a philosopher, and he said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator made, through Jesus, made known through Jesus Christ. There's a God-shaped heart in each of us that is longing to know more, longing to be filled and what is the meaning of this and what is the purpose and where can I get my meaning from? And we can try and fill it with all sorts of different things but nothing else will satisfy it because it's a God-shaped hole and the only thing that will bring that satisfaction is God himself. In verse 47, Jesus carries on talking to the crowd and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the manna that they're asking for. He said, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Uh, The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The crowd are asking Jesus to perform another miracle and give them more physical bread. But what Jesus is saying is there is a far superior bread on offer, and it's me. And uh, Jesus was really clear with the crowd uh, about what they needed to do. He was very clear about who he was. He was the bread, but also about what they needed to do, and they needed to feed on him. And you can imagine it would have sounded really bizarre to this crowd. And in fact, it says um, in verse 66, it tells us that many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with Jesus, because what he was offering them was not what they wanted. But he was really clear. He said, you need to feed on me or eat my flesh. And if you just look at those verses, if we just go back to those verses again, um, from verse 51, he says, in verse 51, he says, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then in verse 52, he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man. And, uh, no, sorry, that's 53. And then in 54, he said, whoever feeds on my flesh... And in verse 55, he says, my flesh is true food. And in verse 56, he says, feeds on my flesh. And in verse 57, he said, whoever feeds on me. And in verse 58, he said, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So it wasn't something that Jesus just said, and he he kind of slipped out, but he didn't really mean it. He said it about eight times. He keeps on saying, you need to feed on me. So the question that we have to ask is, if Jesus is the bread of life, 
What does it mean for us to eat of him? Now, if you were hungry and I gave you a loaf of bread, you could put it in the middle of the table and you could look at it. You could even invite your friends round and you could probably discuss how appetizing it looks, how golden the crust is, how nicely the baker has formed it. You could discuss the fact it's got those nice poppy seeds on top that you like that get stuck in your teeth. You could talk about how wonderful it smells, that lovely bread aroma. You could even talk about the fact that if you've got a knife and you cut it open, it would probably be lovely and white and fluffy inside. And you could do all those things, but your stomach could still be rumbling and you'd still be hungry. Because just looking at it isn't going to do you any good. What you've got to do is you've got to take that bread and eat it. And that is the only way it's going to satisfy your hunger. There is no benefit to putting a loaf of bread on the table and sitting and looking at it. And in the same way, we need to think about how, what are the ways in which we might be tempted to just put Jesus there and look at him, but not actually eat of him. So I've got a couple of ways in which we might do that. We can talk about God, but not actually talk to God ourselves. We can talk about God's word, but not actually open it up and read it for ourselves and allow God's word to nourish us. We can fall into the trap of thinking that what matters most is what everybody else thinks rather than taking that time to be quiet before God and ask him what he's saying to us. We can hear the word of God on a Sunday but not take hold of it and allow it to shape our lives for the rest of the week. I know for myself that I'm prone to do all those things. And I know when I am doing it because I know the difference it makes in my life. And there might be other things that you're aware of in your life that you do, which means that you're looking at Jesus, but you're not actually eating on him. Looking on does not satisfy. Eating does. And Jesus made it clear. He said, he is the bread of life. He is the one that will satisfy our spiritual hunger when we come to him. Feeding on Jesus and believing in him are the same. He said, whoever believes in me has eternal life. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. They're the same thing. We have to come to God in faith. Jesus said we have to eat his bloody and drink his blood. We have to believe and really believe. And it's not just believing in God or believing in Jesus. It's easy to say that we believe Jesus is real that he died on the cross and rose again. True believing impacts every area of our lives every day. We not only believe that he exists, we believe that what he says is true. The faithfulness and character of God never changes. We can have faith and believe that what he says is true because we know that God is truthful because God cannot lie. 
That is why faith isn't rational. Faith is relational. That's why Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You come to me. Our faith is always based on the person that we're putting our faith in. It's, it's a very relational thing. If faith were merely rational, then it would st- uh, we'd stop believing when things don't make sense. But that's when our faith kicks in. When nothing else is making sense, we're saying, I'm still believing because I know God is true and I know he doesn't lie and I know his word is truth. We take hold of God's word and when we're going through difficult times, we tell him that we're holding on, even though we don't understand what's going on, but we're trusting that he's sovereign, that he's big enough and powerful enough and good enough to bring good out of it for us. And likewise, when things are going well, we believe and we confess that all things are a gift from God and we give thanks to him for all he's done and we acknowledge his goodness in our lives rather than thinking it's all down to us. But the crowd in this story, they wanted something different. They weren't prepared to feed on Jesus. What they wanted was not the relationship but the benefits that came with it. They wanted to use Jesus for their own purposes. They saw what he was like, but they kind of wanted to shape him into something that they could use. And when we try to shape God into what we want, we're not believing in him. Verse 66 says, After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter probably didn't understand any more than the crowd what Jesus was saying when he said, feed on me. But what what he did get was that Jesus had the words of eternal life and that he was God. And so his reply was, where else can we go? You could put your hope in your career, how successful you could be and how much money you could earn. But Jesus is the only one that has the words of eternal life. You could do that, but Jesus is the only one that is going to satisfy those longings in your heart. You could put your hope in finding the perfect spouse and living happily ever after, of having children and the ideal family. But Jesus is the one that has the words to eternal life. Jesus is the only one that will satisfy the longings of your heart. You could put your hope in the things that you'll do in the future. Once the kids have left home, once uh, once you're retired, once you fix this area of your life, whatever it is. But Jesus is the one that has the words to the eternal life. And only he will satisfy those longings. Jesus wants to be our treasure. He wants to take priority in our lives. He is not an add-on. It's him that we look to. We delight ourselves in him. And we have this amazing privilege. And, And if you think about who God is, it really is amazing. God is so holy, so powerful, so mighty. Really, we should come before him trembling, but But God doesn't do that. God says, come to me as children. Come and know me and have this relationship with me. 
And so we've got two possible responses to God. We can be like the crowd, focused on what God can do for us. We can um, focus on what our needs are and be those that are just looking for what God can give us. But when we don't get what we think we should have, then the tendency will always be to walk away. And sometimes we don't even walk away physically. We can still be here on a Sunday. But in reality, in our hearts, our hope has been transferred somewhere else. Our hope no longer is in Jesus. Or we can be like Peter and confess that our trust is in Jesus because there's no one else like him. Because he has the words of eternal life. And he is the only one that will satisfy us, our true longings of our heart. And uh, it's summertime, and I always think summertime is a time to take stock. And, and I love it when we're focusing on what Jesus has said. And I just want to encourage you to hear again Jesus' words. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever comes to me will never thirst.